No playing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to D20 Dudes, the tabletop role-playing podcast where the die decides our topic. I am Ingvar Ironheart, Thane to the Jarl Svarl Coldmane, far to the north, and warrior of Odin. Every Jarl in Skyrim. Thank you. Um, know your place. Excuse me. You interrupted me. Warrior of Odin. (laughs) You can call me Dragonborn. Dovahkiin. Am I helping? So this is the first episode I'm recording since my computer is now back in action. It's very nice that you're back. Pretty good. Yeah, I hated it. Yeah, I mean, like... I hated it, like, a lot. It's your main source of, um... Entertainment. Literally anything? <laughs> yeah. Like, I couldn't really do any work or anything. It's like, hey, just gone. I hate that I have a life that is so reliant on this fickle machine, but I do. Omnisaya preserve me. What are you gonna do, man? So, like, the the whole story is, like, some shit, too. Because, like, I remember I bought... A, a new processor. I used to have I'm running on an Intel chipset now, but I was using AMD. Mm-hmm. And I had had problems with this computer like almost from the day I got it. it it's given me like kind of a lot of guff. Mm-hmm. So I buy a new processor and f- I'm like trying to put it in and it's not quite fitting and like I don't I don't really know what's going on. It won't turn on um, so I try to put it back in again and it doesn't quite fit and I try and put it back again and it doesn't quite fit and I try and put it in again and then the pins break. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> that's about $350 just down the drain. Oh man, so you finally cleaned your processor of all those spiky things? I hate those words. Didn't I, throw, didn't then, I send that to you? Yeah, and then I tried putting my old processor in and then the pins break on it as well. Ooh. So I'm like, cool. I just don't have a computer now. Uh, and it was only a few pins on each one. So I, I take it to a computer repair shop. And I'm like, hey, um, I'm trying to put the processor in. Pins keep breaking. I don't know what's going on. Can you take a look at it? Maybe see if something's blocking something. I don't really know what's going on. But if you can just take a look at it and figure out what's going on, I would super appreciate it. Uh, and he's like, cool, got it. So he hangs on to it. And then a few days later, I get a call. And uh, Computer Dave, Computer Dave's PC repair calls me and they're like, hey, uh, I got that old processor in and it's booted up. And so we're testing it now. And I was like, what? It's it's broken. That processor, it's broken. He goes, "Uh, it's not. I said, I I know it's broken. I broke it. Me did. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, uh, I mean, I'm on your desktop looking at right now. You got like some robot dudes with guns. It's like, oh, shit. How is that? I, uh, this is some black magic. This is some witchery. Dave's so I go and I check it trap, out. He means. <laughs> so I go and I check it out. Like, sure as shit, it, it's booted. I have no idea how he managed that shit uh, with broken pins on the processor. But fucking, I guess. But, you know, I didn't trust that shit. Um, so I said, hey, you said you've got <laughs> an AMD Ryzen 5. Uh, I'll just buy that off you. I'll just I'll just buy that. You just install that. And and uh, I don't trust a processor with broken pins. It was like, all right, cool. Yeah, we'll get that to you like Monday. And I said, cool. 
And then Monday comes around and he goes, all right, so you updated your BIOS for that processor, right? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, the the motherboard manufacturer and the BIOS developers fucked it up and the BIOS is busted and you cannot make any changes to put in new processors. So I was like, awesome, sick, great. great. That's news I absolutely wanted to hear. You know what? I'm just going to come pick it up. Just give me the damn computer. It's been there for like a week and a half now. So I go and I grab it and I bring it home and I'm like, hey, uh, this thing's like booted up and idling at 90 degrees Celsius. Not great. No. You can nearly boil (laughs) water on your computer. Yeah, almost. Uh, So I open her up and I try and get the, um, the thermal paste to not yank the CPU off mm-hmm. because it has a habit of doing that. And it did anyway. What do you mean and by I'm you mad think? about it. So like thermal paste can get kind of hard and like sticky. I see. Um, and I, I'm like, I try to finagle it around, but like the old liquid cooler I had on it, like you basically just had to pull straight back. There was really no like finagling room. Um, and if it doesn't want to let go, there's every chance it's just going to pull the CPU out before the thermal paste breaks. Uh, and so that's what happened. And by the way, part of the reason that it was running so hot at the time uh, was because Biakuaz, uh, fucking computer Dave, did not install this cooling loop correctly whenever he put it back on. Uh, so whenever you put on a cool a cooling unit for your CPU, you're supposed to like kind of tighten stuff down in one corner then the opposite corner and then like don't tighten it all down at once and like be kind of like careful in the way that you're putting all these things down because you want it to make even solid contact across the whole CPU to transfer heat as evenly as possible and as efficiently as possible this motherfucker is tightened down one side as hard as it would go and then moved on to the other side so it was making terrible contact Um, what's the solvent in uh, thermal paste it also damaged the cooling loop, like bent the copper plate because of how tight he had it bolted down. Jesus. So not great. Like up aside from that, the man was great. Like, in fact, he, he barely even charged me anything. There was like an upfront, like, all right, this is our cost for like doing any repairs or anything. Um, but because he didn't actually manage to figure out what was going on and get anything fixed, he was like, no, nah, I don't feel right. Like actually charging you anything because it's still broken. So he was very cool about it. It kept me updated the whole way. It's just that one thing was like, wow, man, maybe you figure those things out. And then I get it back. And uh, so here's the, here's the real kicker. Here's where everyone out there is going to want to punch old Dylan right in the fucking Adam's apple. Um, I ended up finding out the reason I was breaking pins is because I'm a fucking idiot. You see, whenever it pulled the CPU out again, I couldn't get it back in and working. I was like, what the fuck? Why is this happening? And I Googled, like, do other people have this issue? And they said, make sure that this mark is pointed towards the white dot on the CPU or on the motherboard. So I said, white dot. Read? There's no white dot. There's not a white dot. And I looked really closely and hidden by the socket itself is a very tiny white dot. Now, I could, I could fucking swear to you molly on my grandmother's grave Mm -hmm. that little golden triangle went in the bottom right hand corner i've put that cpu in before and that's where it went that's how it functioned that's where it went but no that little white dot is in the top left 
So I was just putting shit in fucking backwards the entire time. And that's what was breaking things. Because I'm a fucking idiot, Molly. You're not an idiot. You're just unobservant. <laughs> no, you, you literally could not see it unless you were angled to, like, to the left side of the CP, like the, the PC. Like, it was obscured by the socket itself. Which is a goofy way to design it. That is weird. And so, like, that's a really dumb rookie mistake to make. But at the same time, it's like, at least now I know why. Mm-hmm. At least now I know what the fuck up was. It was me, but at least now I know. But then eventually, like, between that and, like, the cooling loop was no longer cooling things properly. And, like, we could not get that fixed. So my buddy Richard was like, listen, man, I'm tired of seeing you get kicked. You're already down. I'm just going to buy you an early Christmas present and spent a bunch of money to get me a new motherboard, a new CPU came over and actually installed everything for me. Um, we did have to jury rig some things because like the only, the only kind of CPU cooling I've had in this computer has been liquid cooling. So all of my CPU fans are for liquid coolers, meaning they're meant to attach to a radiator on the back. And since this CPU came with an air cooler, and now I don't need a liquid cooling radiator, we actually didn't have a way to attach the, the chassis fans mm-hmm. because there's not a radiator for them to attach to. So we had to go out to a hardware store and buy some screws and nuts to hold them in place. Ooh. So that looks a little janky, but it works. And now my computer's functioning again. Thanks, Richard. We also had Connor cover for a week and... He just kind of offered to do that out of the kindness of his own heart. I didn't ask him to do that. He just did that. And that's very cool of him. That's very nice. Yeah, Connor's really cool. And now that we're 10 minutes into this episode where I've told the story about how I'm a colossal fuck up and it cost me several hundred dollars, uh, I want to talk about Fabula Ultima today, Molly. Okay. <laughs> um, so you still haven't told me what it is beyond being a tabletop game. You know how I fucking... You know how I fucking simp Tenra? Yeah. You know how I fucking simp Blades in the Dark? You simp a lot of things. You know how I kind of simp Ryutama? What's that? And you know how I simp, simp Final Fantasy? What? I I just said, you simp a lot of things. So, like, are you going to tell me Fabula something Ultima new? Fabula Ultima is a game <laughs> is a game that is very heavily thematically based on the Final Fantasy series. Mm-hmm. Fabula Ultima is actually kind of a you're you're about to drop that all over the place, Molly. Yeah, I'm watching you. It's, it's got like um, a little doodad in it. Never mind. Go ahead. You're a doodad. Um, so it, it's very heavily thematically based on Final Fantasy, and the name Fabula Ultima could actually mean like final story or last tale or Final Fantasy Ooh. in Latin. So yeah, they're they're kind of playing around with that one. Um, and in the introduction like the kind of opening of things like these are the things that we kind of use as inspiration when making the system and three of those big things are Ryutama, Blades in the Dark and Tenra Bancha Zero Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's a system that uses a lot of things that I already like from other systems. Nice, nice All right. very good So, so what exactly is it? so it is a tabletop role playing game it kind of functions a little bit different than the way a TTRPG normally works. Normally a game like this, like let's just say Pathfinder, for example, because that's the one I'm most familiar with. The way 
the one that um, most people I know are going to be most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got your stats. Everything kind of starts out at a 10. You get a few things and you're like, hey, uh, I'm going to increase this up to a 15. And maybe to get a few extra points, I'll lower this down to an 8. But these are my flat values that represent my stats. And that's how this game works. Okay. And if I want to use some kind of skill, I've got a skill value. And sometimes it takes from my... And Fabula Ultima doesn't do that shit. Mm. In Fabula Ultima, your stats are represented by a D6, a D8, a D10, or a D12. When you want to perform an action, it will be a blank plus blank kind of roll. So let's say you want to use a compound bow to shoot a target from really far away. So that might be like a might plus agility roll. If your might is a D8 and your agility is a D6, you will roll a D8 and a D6, and the result of those two dice is what the result of your roll is. Nice. That's a very simple system. Yes. The highest number on the die faces you get is called your high roll, and so that comes into play. Like most weapon damage is going to be like high roll plus something. So whatever the highest number you get is going to be your base damage, and then like a dagger might give you like a plus three, so like high roll plus three. Um, and that's <laughs> basically the whole core of the system until you start getting into weird things like magic because magic is a little goofy in Fabula Ultima because there's a lot of different kinds of magic and none of them really work like each other at all. Isn't magic usually the most complicated part of any system? Sort of. So if you look at a game like um, Pathfinder or D&D, like magic is essentially the same across all magic using classes. They may use it in like different ways, whereas like a warlock, you know, they have a set number of spell slots of a set level every day. Um, Or like a sorcerer is like, I just have a whole bunch of different spell slots and I can use whatever spell I want in those slots. Or the wizard that's like, I have to specifically um, plan out all the spells I want to use in a given day. But each one of those classes... If one of them uses Magic Missile, Magic Missile functions in the exact same way for every one of those classes. Magic Missile doesn't fundamentally change, but in Fabula Ultima, the different kinds of magic are wild and varied, where you have uh, Arcanist magic, which is basically like you become a um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure stand user. Like you project part of your soul out of your body and then it creates like this avatar of like one of the arcana and then it gives you like a special effect and then you can dismiss it for a different effect and then summon another arcana for different effects. There's like actual normal spellcasters. There's people who use like specific ritual spells that perform very vague and varied effects. Like magic across the classes in Fabula Ultima is weird because no two magic classes use magic in the same way. Hmm. That sounds difficult to um, remember all of, memorize. Kinda. Um, and the way that classes are chosen, so like your character does not have a singular class. You are given five levels at the beginning of the game, and you spend those five levels in any one of the classes you want. So like, you could be an arms master and an arcanist or you could be a berserker and like it's literally you can pick you have a minimum of two classes a maximum of three at level five that you start at and you can just 
pick and choose. Anytime you level up, you can put it in whatever fucking class you want and get those class benefits. So your character is going to be like a unique blend of things that you find useful. And you can continue pumping more and more and more levels into one class, so you can kind of like branch out a little bit, you know, pepper in a little bit here and there, and try and get like a bunch of different disparate features. But ultimately, the character and the actual like, I guess, theme, job, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. of the character is going to basically be of your own invention. Hmm. That sounds extremely complicated. Like, as a DM, um, remembering all of the things that your players are doing sounds, like, overwhelmingly complicated. Uh, I wouldn't imagine so, because, again, it all comes down to, like, this, this, like, if you want to do anything, it's just blank plus blank. Mm -hmm. And really, the so the different melee classes, what you're going to get out of them is different weapon and armor combinations Mm -hmm. because there's martial weapons and there's martial armors and there's martial shields. And it's like certain melee classes are like, I can use weapons and shields or this one's like, I can use armors and shields. So it would probably be, if you're going to be like a full melee class, it's just going to be, I want something that can use weapons, armor and shields. So you're going to pick, two classes that give you access to those and then it'll just kind of be like a lot of different flavor like Dark Knight is one of them and that's mostly a thing that the player is going to handle because they can get some really cool effects but it costs their own HP to do so. Hmm. So it's not really something that the GM's going to have to to wonder about too much. The only thing the GM would really have to take into account is going to be like status effects and then um, immunities and stuff. So like there's Weakness to a damage type, you take double damage. Um, resistance is you take half damage. Immunity is no damage. And then absorption is you get healed by that damage type. So that's really the only, like, if you're going to plan encounters, you may want to know which damage types your players can and can't use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as to not throw an enemy, that's just going to be useless against them. But otherwise, it seems like if you are familiar with JRPGs and Final Fantasy kind of games, you're going to understand the basics of things like honestly i think if you play like bravely default and bravely second you've got a pretty good idea of what classes are and are not available in fabula ultima okay they also do a very interesting thing that i super like Hmm. um they have what are called inventory points every character at base has six inventory points there are a few class features that can (coughs) increase the amount you have um, but basically, you don't buy healing potions. You don't buy mana potions. You don't buy consumables. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're in town, you can spend 10 of the in-game currency to restore one inventory point. And at any point during combat, if you need a healing potion, pop an inventory point, you've got that healing potion in your hands. And you can use it immediately. So is there currency? Yes. So, like, how does this affect currency? It doesn't. You spend the 10 points, you spend the 10, like, gold or whatever to get an inventory point. And whenever you use an inventory point, you have to use the item you get from it right away. Okay. So it's not like I can spawn an infinite number of health potions and sell them. It's, like, no. So it's, you have these six points, 
And in combat, they are what you need them to be. So you're not having to keep track of, oh, I have this many health potions and this many mana potions and this many like antidotes or whatever. It's just all these different consumables you would normally have to kind of like stack a shit ton of to make sure you always have them. Mm -hmm. You spend an inventory point, you have what you need in your hand. Okay. So inventory I think points, that is like, do you still have an inventory? I guess that's a dumb question. <laughs> yeah, like you do have an inventory. Like they're like so weapons and armor and like special items, magic items, things like that. You keep track of those like normal. Mm -hmm. Um. It just takes away like all the humdrum of like making sure like, oh, I have all these healing items I need. You just you, you get rid of all that shit. You don't got to worry about it. You just spend inventory points there. You've got that healing potion. Well, it's not quite the same thing, but like I think every single campaign of D&D I've played, almost every single one, um, we don't count rations every day because it's annoying. Yeah. I don't do that unless my players are in a specific position where that would be like yeah. pertinent to do. Like if my players are departing from town and they know the destination they're going to be at is another town, they probably packed enough food to get there. Yeah. That's just sensical. Now, if my players are at sea and their vessel crashes on a deserted island and they need to find a way off the island, maybe we keep track of food then. Yeah. Because then it's really that, that then it's then kind it's of a like timer a of like, Instead of it just being yeah. like, well, maybe on the road you got food and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Like, in a situation where it's actually going to put, like, a constraint, where, like, oh, we need to figure out how to get off this island before we run out of food and fucking starve to death, I think then it's fine. Otherwise, yeah, it's just kind of tedious. <laughs> like, when it's, like, plot relevant. Yeah, that's basically Another thing... it. But, but I have heard of people, like, being extremely county about it. So, it's not, like, a thing you can't do. It's just... This inventory slot thing reminds yeah. me of this kind of shortcut that most people do. Yeah, uh, some people like crunch. I'm not one of them. <laughs> I mean, you play a game for whatever reason you like. Mm -hmm. Like, if mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. if that's why you like playing the game is like keeping track of all these different items and knowing exactly how far you can go and exactly how to get the best. You know, play for what makes it fun for you. Yeah, it's just not a Dylan thing. Um, Another thing I like is, so in Tenra, I've mentioned that a character cannot die without permission. If a character does not have their dead box ticked, it doesn't matter how much damage they take, they do not die. They are unconscious, they are heavily injured, but they are not dead. The GM does not have the ability to take away your character without your consent. They do a similar thing in Fabula Ultima. Whenever your character is reduced to zero hit points, you have the choice of A, surrendering, at which point you suffer a consequence of some sort, like you're out of the combat for being at zero HP, but it can be like you suffer a scar or like you one of your emotional bonds changes, something like that, um, or you get separated from the party, but the character is not dead. Or B, you can perform a sacrifice where you kind of, you're like, okay, it's time for this character to die, and you use that to do like one last heroic action, to do like a big, like, yes, I'm going to do the thing kind of sacrifice, and that's how your character dies. But you make the choice. Enjoying me. I, I like this little dance you're doing. I'm trying to focus my camera because it's like, you changed lighting? They can't see me moving my hands. <laughs> around so, my head. <laughs> um, one of the things, so whenever you... Um, so I mentioned an emotional bonds just then, and there's, um, so you get 
bonds with other player characters with important NPCs and stuff like that. Like if you choose to, um, and you can have up to three levels of a bond with another character of any kind. Um, and a thing you can do with these bonds is every character gets what are called fabula points. And you can spend fabula points to kind of invoke your bonds to give your rolls better results, like re-roll the lowest roll or do better damage. You can spend fabula points on certain very cool abilities that certain classes may have. Um, and surrendering will automatically give you two fabula points. So you're kind of encouraged to surrender because it means while you're knocked out at this particular moment, it's going to make you stronger down the line. I think fabula points are also used for leveling up, but um, I might not have fully read the book yet. I just really like this and want to talk about it. So that's what we're doing. But on the, the flip side, there are villains, characters who are recurring and antagonists to the parties. There's like minor villains, major villains, and then like um, super villains where they get ultima points, which allow them to do a lot of the same things players can. Where like, if a villain is reduced to zero HP, they can spend an ultima point and they escape. They leave some underlings for you to fight and they get out and they, they come back to ruin your shit another day. And then you can do the really Japanese thing. And if a villain is going to go down and they don't have any ultima points and they don't want to surrender to the party's mercy, they can escalate. They can go super form. And then they get even more ultima points. And it's going to get bonkers. I'm actually building a world for this game right now with the aid of some friends. Very fun time we've been having. And I cannot wait to actually run like a few one shots in this session because it just seems like a super fun thing that these villains can just kind of come back in this way. You can You're looking pensive over there, Molly. I'm thinking about how many like convenient like oh no, the villain is dead, but you don't see him die. Something like that. Well, I like that Fabula Ultima gives like a hard and fast limit to that. There's like, depending on the severity of the villain, whether minor, major, or super, they have a limited number of Ultima points and they can't just get away every time. If they don't have any Ultima points, when they go down, they either surrender or die. I see. So it can't be like... Hard rule. Correct. As a hard rule, once they're out of Ultima points and the party defeats them, they are defeated. Unless they want to escalate to the next level. If it is already escalated to the highest level of being like the highest tier villain and you bring them down, well, they're done. They can't escalate any higher than that. Hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. Very Japanese. They also heavily encourage cooperative world building. And I don't just mean it in like the storytelling aspect. We We've talked a lot on this podcast about like the game is a world created by all the players. The GM kind of makes the overall setting, but in terms of how the world develops and grows, it's really kind of a collaborative experience, how everyone shapes everything that goes on through their character's actions. Um, but in Fabula Ultima, they actually heavily encourage you from the ground up. They even give you like this whole world making kit and they're like, hey sit down with your players, all of them, and everyone contributes to building the world. Somebody has an idea, they throw it on the map. Somebody wants to change something about that, they throw it on the map. Somebody else wants to put like the Elven Kingdom way up here, they throw it on the map. Everybody together collaborates to build the world that they're going to have the adventure in. Fascinating. Hmm. So, like, can you still do, like, like, 
Do you feel like that might take away the um, surprise that's sometimes in campaigns? So as a GM, you're, of course, like, you know, final say on these things. Like, I think if you want to put something in there, like a villain or like a, a little secret thing or whatever, I think you can still do that. You can still have that. But I actually think this is a really good thing to do. Because, like, at first I was like, oh, yeah, that, that kind of takes away, like, a lot of the GM's, like, final say. On, like, but then the more I thought about it, the more I actually really came to love the idea. Because if a player helps create the world that they're going to be playing in, and especially if they're very invested in what they've done to help create this world, that means they're going to be all the more excited to play in that world. Because now they have that thing that they made that they're very looking forward to interacting with. And I think that's actually a brilliant fucking idea. Mm -hmm. Like, what better way to know that a player is going to get something they want out of the game than letting them put it in there themselves? How How would that affect your story writing? Well, the world is made before the game begins. So, like, obviously, you're going to have this whole thing kind of at least on paper before you get started. And it's at that point you would begin writing a more extended tale if that's what you were going to do. Sometimes you just want to have a game to write these little one-off stories in. Like, it, it really depends on how you're going to do things. Because, like, even if you are going to have, like, an extended campaign set in a given world, and you are making the world session zero, and you're going to start playing in that same session, like, you could very easily throw together, like, oh, you're the new adventurers, and you're going to start in this village, and you're just going to do some, like, basic monster hunting tasks. You're going to start out like you would in an RPG. Like, go collect 11 boar livers for me. Quest number one, get moving, peon. So, it gives you some wiggle room to, like, get started, get writing, and then You've got the collective imagination of the players come together and all of their ideas put on paper already so that you can kind of weave them into your tale as you go. I guess this would work really well for DMs that don't have a particularly hard set path in the direction they're going. Yeah, and I mean, (laughs) that's me. Let me tell you, Molly... I am now on the second iteration of a Pathfinder 2E game in a world that everyone is like super excited to play in. They're like, oh man, Dylan's put a lot of thought. I put no fucking thought. (laughs) I have made up everything as I went along. Every single bit has just been off the top of my fucking head. And it's largely because my players put that energy in and so I can match it and give that back. And that's that's a big part of my jamming is like I can match my players energy and then reciprocate. And that helps me kind of build things as I go along. So that's I think part of why I've come to like this system of like have your players build this world with you. And then you've got that going into it, like right from the get go. You're not waiting for a session one to feel things out. It's already there. Okay, that's fair. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it a lot. It's very cool. I like the way stats are done. The stats are very Ryutama. The class system is very Tenra. Um, the way that roles are done is very Blades in the Dark. I just, I, mm, 
it takes a lot of my favorite things from my favorite systems and it just kind of mashes them all into one place. Also, I encourage everyone who listens to this episode, here's the name Fabula Ultima, just go look it up. If you don't want to buy it, whatever, it's almost impossible to get a physical copy in the States right now. But just look up the game and look at the artwork they've made for it. Because I don't know who their artist is, but they're fucking phenomenal. They really, really capture that like old school Final Fantasy vibe, like to a T. And it's all so pretty. The book is just a delight to look at. Okay, cool. I like how you're doing these visual gags and no one can see you, Molly. No, I don't know what to say, so I'm just sitting here smiling about it. <laughs> it <laughs> well, sounds fun. That's our time anyway. What can I say? Um, do, you, do you have any final thoughts, Molly, before we roll our die? Mm, I want tacos. Cool, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really contributes a lot to the topic. Dude. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everyone for listening whoa 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 hold on the dino I, I clicked the wrong i clicked the wrong button so i was like why is my patron list so large there's no way but i clicked the wrong button so thank you everyone for listening um if you would like to say hello to us support the show uh you want to find us on facebook facebook.com slash d20dudes you want to find us on Twitter? It's twitter.com slash d20dudes or at d20dudes on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. Don't even bring it up. Shut up. Nope. If you would like to join our Discord, there's a link for that down in the description. Discord's open. Everybody come uh, pop in and bully me. I like that shit. Um. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, we have patreon.com slash d20dudes. Uh, just $3 a week will get you a shout out in every episode like we have for you, Molly. Like we have for Zam. Wow. Hi, Zam. Uh, Neutron Ken. Good to see you. Word. How you doing, buddy? And Jenny. She didn't show up this week to record with us. Yeah. How dare she have a doctor's appointment? How dare morning people right i don't even like the morning doesn't even exist to me and now we shall roll the d20 and find out what next week's topic is going to be if i can get this okay it's out of the bottle now so i can roll the d20 right now uh, I rolled a five. Cool. I get to buy another new system for next week because I rolled Morkborg. How do you keep putting uh, topics on there that you don't have literature for yet? To bully myself into getting them. But what about groceries? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to eat. <laughs> yeah, you do. Goblin. I'll just eat garbage like I always do. What? Uh, Morkborg. Um, so I actually don't know a whole lot about Morkborg. Um, I actually learned this one through a uh, a different game, a tabletop war game called Forbidden Psalm, which is based on the core system of Morkborg, but is meant to be played like um, almost like Kill Team. What's Kill Team? Or like a, like like a tiny baby version of 40k or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a it's it's a very vague 
kind of setting and a very vague kind of system with like a lot of weird, like bright magenta and yellow artwork of, of like very gross things. It, it seems like it fits into that kind of ink 28 art style very heavily. So if you're a fan of like um, Alpha Busis stuff, it might be a, a system for you to work forward. But we'll cover that next week. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank, thank for listening. Thank. And we catch you in next week episode. Farewell. Good day.